0: If not, no worries, we still love you, and we literally have hundreds of episodes of Blamo, all free, for you to dive into. Thanks so much.
1: Hey guys, it's me, Rob. Jeremy's taking some much-needed time off, so I'm doing extra solo this week. Before we get into it, I gotta say, it's been an amazing experience being on this side of the mic, and I hope you've been enjoying it too. Thanks to Jeremy, the folks on the Slack, and especially anyone who's taken a moment to share their feedback. This community is the best, and I'm grateful to be part of it. This week, my guest is W. David Marks, the Tokyo-based author who wrote Amatora, How Japan Saved American Style. If you haven't read it, you definitely should. It explains how a handful of people in Japan created their own take on iconic American clothing like jeans and ivy style and exported it to the world. David is even more obsessed with the way culture works than I am, and is one of those guys who's able to connect the dots so vividly you never see things the same way again. I figured he was the perfect person to chat with about Nigo becoming artistic director at Kenzo. We cover Nigo's history, how culture used to travel in pre-internet days, and part of David's own story, including how Bape introduced him to the world of fashion, the time he got into trouble with Stash, and the clothes he saw in Nigo's private archive that you probably didn't even know existed. We go in deep, guys, so buckle up. All right. Okay, sweet. So you're you're back home in... uh, Last time we spoke, you had escaped Tokyo because of the Olympics and I guess heat. now there's a different Olympics. Oh, heat and Olympics, that's right. But you're back in Tokyo.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm normally in, in Tokyo. So I'm just, I'm in my study in Tokyo. It's very cold. It's like my, minus two or three. So was that, like 27 outside? So
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't, does it, is that normal to get that cold?
0: Yeah, I think people... Th- think Tokyo is like New York latitude or maybe they don't think about it but it's basically the same as South Carolina and people in Japan especially in Tokyo believe that they have very unique weather that there's four seasons and that's a very unique Mm. Tokyo thing but I'm from the south and it's basically the same weather which is uh very hot in the summer and then winter it's cold without being like New York or Boston cold so it does snow maybe once or twice a year and Right. um but it's it's pretty pleasant and it's just the blue skies w- winter here is just blue skies every day um to the degree I, it hasn't rained in a long time and it's kind of worrying from a humidity point of view but it's
1: it's just uh, quite crisp and nice every day that sounds pleasant almost. can't complain except except maybe the the temperature part depending i guess if you're not used to it right you
0: know if you like clothes which many of uh the listeners on this podcast do. Winter is an mm. opportunity. It's an opportunity for layering and uh tweed and lots of things like that. So, you know, tweed season is quite limited as global warming increases. Um, and so you only get about two or three months of those materials mm. now.
1: Are you uh are are you team tweed?
0: I mean it's a it's a great material. I I mean I think increasingly I'm not buying tweed because of its limited usage on our increasingly hot planet so uh yeah i think you know f- for suits it's like cotton suits just work so much better and tokyo is so humid and spring jackets or summer suits are kind of an oxymoron and that it's just almost impossible it doesn't matter what material you make a s- suit jacket out of for summer it's just too hot to wear
1: uh-huh yeah i guess you do. you don't use well maybe linen i don't but linen is more like hot and dry right
0: yeah, I think if you're in a hot, dry place, all this works really well. But in a incredibly humid and hot place. Um, and I'm from this I mean, from the south too. And then the south, it's like you're you're in your air conditioning air-conditioned house, and then you go out to your air-conditioned car and you go to an air-conditioned place, and you're not like walking around that much. But I think, you know, Tokyo, you've got to walk from your house to the train station and you could be immaculate on your way out, and then you're just a sweaty mess by the time you get to the train station. <laughs> so, it, you know, dressing up in summer is always quite a
1: chore. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I am, I love outerwear. That's like my my kryptonite. But um, but yeah, actually what you've described is kind of the opposite for me. I drive from my garage to my work garage. So I don't actually get to put on like kind of, a you know, all the layers, which is a little sad. I mean, me. it
0: also makes sense why Tokyo is such a fashion city because you are out and about quite a bit and people have cars but they mostly use it for suburban errands or weekend drives you know it's not a uh to drive into the city is quite a pain and most people don't commute by car i think you know even in seoul i know a lot of people who commute by car but tokyo is just not a city for that and so you're on the subway and you're out and you need the clothes for warmth or or um whatever, but also just, it's a way to show off style at all time. It's a kind of a 24 hour, uh, style pageant here in Tokyo.
1: Got it. Yeah. That's i I've only been there once. I I really, I just need to kind of get the energy to to go back again. Obviously now it's a little tricky (laughs) and the (laughs) permission at this point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so actually, um, you know, talking about Tokyo style, um, You know, I have right next to me the Style Sample 2022 uh, issue of Popeye Magazine. And I kind of wanted to start off by talking about, you wrote a style essay for this? Yep. At least what it's being called, a style essay, which is a cool insert. Uh, And it's called Strategies for Style. So um, can you explain a little bit about what it is and how it came to be?
0: Sure. and I've worked with Popeye and Popeye's older brother magazine is Brutus for probably about 14 years now. And the original way that happened is, you know, I was writing, I was in Tokyo and I was writing, but I wasn't writing that much for Japanese publications. And uh, I was at this like opening for some United Arrow store and I didn't really know anybody and I was just standing around. And these two people came up to me and they're like, we're casting models for this Photo shoot and we don't want them to look like models and you're perfect uh which was both uh like a nice <laughs> invitation and kind of uh <laughs> vaguely insulting and so uh I was like all right and so they it was this fashion shoot where it was called uh suits and mountains and we had to hike up this entire like snowy mountain carrying like all these uh suits like dunhill suits and things and then get dressed up on top of the mountain and do this 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 shoot and i realized that uh you know this was my chance to kind of get in with the the brutus people and so the the fashion editor at that time was um takahiro kinoshita who was the fashion editor at at brutus and the stylist was akio hasagawa who's now one of the big stylists and so kinoshita-san went on to be the editor-in-chief of popeye and like kind of led the revival of, of popeye and so from from his time at Brutus, I started writing kind of essays for them, and then when he moved to Popeye, I started writing essays once in a while. So for the they did a Take um, Ivy issue, and I think I wrote something in that, and then they did their um, big Popeye anniversary issue, and I wrote an essay kind of like what's the, the what's the meaning of Popeye and why it mattered and all that. So you know, once in a while, I kind of uh, try to write something that falls in my wheelhouse. And I think what was weird with this is they were like, hey, we want you to do this essay on, uh, you know, people who have good style and kind of what to learn from it. And I, I I actually don't write a lot like that. And I don't love to tell people how to dress. Um, and my interest in clothing is very much, uh, to say it pretentiously, it's sociological, but it's like I'm interested in why people dress certain ways. I'm interested in why styles emerge and why they change and how they uh, are in reaction to each other and things like that. So I'm I'm not, I'm always trying to look at things from a third party uh, historical perspective and not, you know, your shirt cuff should be one, one quarter inch outside of your suit cuff. There's lots of great people who do that and it's important. And I, I read that stuff and like it, but I'm just not one of those people. So when they asked me to do that, I was like, poof, like I, I do want to do this, but this is just not, something I write. So, you know, the book I'm running now, uh, it's, it's done, but it's going to come out in August is called status and culture. And it's kind of trying to look at what are the general principles behind why culture changes, why it exists, what it does. And it looks from the frame of people looking for status. And, uh, in doing that, I kind of figured out there's like there's logical reasons why we obsess over certain traits of people who are, who have good taste. So things like following tradition, knowing how to follow tradition, authenticity, simplicity, uh, you know, experimenting in ways that are quite interesting, originality, uh, people who have uniforms, who have some sort of regularity. So I just kind of thought about what are those traits, and then I tried to find people who, you know, famous people who are great exemplars of that. And so uh that's kind of where the piece came from. And so instead of just simply saying, like, Jonah Hill wears this shirt and you should wear the shirt too, uh, it's more like what <clears throat> what makes Jonah Hill's style good? And I think for in his case, it's suitability, which is that you know, people should wear clothes that match their identity and uh their existence and and that that includes body size and persona and everything and so um i just try to think about those principles and then use use people to to highlight it so uh that came out and then dick carroll who's a menswear illustrator in new york ended up doing the illustrations which was great so it it turned out it turned out uh i think good and uh it was definitely within the realm of something i i felt comfortable writing but at the same time trying to be style advice of some kind, just more a little bit more abstract than very specific. Your pants should be this length or width.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, it came across as like more of an, I mean, to me, it came across as like an appreciation of these people and the style and sort of their approach. So, um, I mean, I, three of them, I think were translated and, and put online. Yeah. So I'm going. And I, online. you know,
0: I'd written it in English and then it got translated. Um, sometimes I have to translate it myself and I just find that to be just like one of the, it's just really, really a uh, tedious process. So I, I just got a translator this time, but um, so the English existed and we just put three of them up, but yeah, I mean, I think all of them are, are great dressers and I think all of the principles also are mutually exclusive in a sense that you can't have a uniform and also experiment um, mm-hmm. in in most cases. Obviously there are exceptions, but, um, or you can't be a simple dresser, but also a really expressive dresser. So, it's not necessarily saying these are the seven things you need to do to be a good dresser. It's just like here are here are strategies that people use and they work. Mm -hmm. Um, But and you maybe you can pick two or three of them to do, but uh, maybe it's impossible to do all seven. So because I just we just don't live in an age where there is one single idea of good taste. We we do live in a really diverse era, which is wonderful. And and I think when you look at people dressing well. They show that there is no formula. it's just kind of knowing some rules and knowing how to bend them um and so that's I think that's the main point I was trying to
1: get across right, yeah, um, so which of those seven styles do you think is most closely aligned to like your personal style?
0: I think there's a little of me in all of them because that's why they resonated with me um hmm. you know you- like I don't dress I had friend Leibowitz for. The highlight of someone who wears a uniform. I don't wear a uniform and I don't like the idea of wearing a uniform. But at the same time, almost every single day I wear an Oxford cloth button-down shirt. And my closet is just hmm. only Oxford cloth button-down shirts in every possible color. So um oh, wow. there's parts of you know what I wear that are uniform. At the same time, I do like every year to get, you know, a couple things that are uh that stretch, I think, stretch me from how I like to dress to go to somewhere else. And then, uh, you know, simplicity, I think is a general principle that I, I try to use. I'm, I'm six, four and I, I stick out anyway. And so it's like the more I can kind of reduce, reduce the attention to my existence as I walk down the streets, probably better. So,
1: yeah. I I mean, in Japan, I think a six, four guy is
0: kind of
1: like, I don't know how, uh, how wide the range of diminishing your uh, prominence is there but.
0: it's not it's not totally possible but you know mm-hmm. wearing a hat doesn't help let's just say it that way um i i don't need to be taller um i'm i'm definitely the height in which if i'm in a grocery store and some child sees me the child will say will exclaim that's a tall guy and then he, <laughs> that child will disappear and bring back they're sibling to point that out amazing. like you got to see how tall this guy is. So, yeah, I don't I don't need uh, to wear incredibly bright pink mattress and a, yeah. a giant hat, a, a, a big Arby's Arby's hat on top of my head or something.
1: Sure. Yeah. So where I mean, at that height, I mean, do you do you have to kind of I mean, can you find clothes that fit you in Japan? Because I think of Japanese sizing as being sort of like one size down from yes. um, American sizing.
0: Yeah, I think when things are really cropped, as they were in the kind of post-Tom Brown era, it was quite helpful because the pants didn't have to fit me perfectly. Uh, so if they were a little short, that was that was part of the charm. And now mm-hmm. everything's really a big silhouette. And so that that helps that they're making things a little bit oversized. But I mean, I think the main thing is Kamakur shirts will do order shirts that are exactly my size for I don't know a hundred bucks a shirt. And uh there's just so many opportunities to do made to measure from all the brands that, that I like. You know, Beams Plus does a sports coat made to measure every year. So I would get those sports coats quite a bit. And uh I just ordered a suit from Taylor Cade, who's like the very American Madison Avenue Taylor. So there's just a lot of tailoring opportunities, and there's a lot of not particularly expensive made-to-measure. Um, you pay a little bit more than you would for, you know, the normal off the off-the-rack product. So from that perspective, I've kind of figured out how to dress myself with the brands I like. But I think it's sometimes hard. Like you know, engineered garments may have a jacket; it just doesn't fit me, um, mm-hmm. whereas maybe their pants do for whatever reason. And then shoes are just impossible because my I wear thirteen a.
1: Oh wow! It's just
0: it's not. I, I just can't buy shoes. I don't even try. So I went back to the U.S. for Christmas, which was an ordeal. Uh, but half of that was just like I just need shoes, and I need to load up on, on some Nike sneakers uh, while I'm while I'm there. And my Nike sneakers now, because Nike runs small, they're 14, which is just like, uh, Ooh. it's that's getting into the range of just uh, like you're a basketball player or you were a freak, and so.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say. I think with Nike, the like the limited styles only come from like eight to thirteen, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, if you wanted like Supreme Nikes, you're kind of out of luck or need a connection or something.
0: Yeah, I gave up on those dreams a long time ago. So, just (laughs) I just assume I'll I'll take whatever I can get. I mean, I think Nike does tend to make their really classic basic styles, right? Yeah, up to thirteen or fourteen. So, you know, if you want some Cortez or you know something pretty simple and New Balance fits. I don't know. I mean, I, I think everything about 13 you mm-hmm. can get, and it works. Uh, I've never had a problem. I, Adidas Originals, I, I used to buy a lot in the early 2000s when I was in New York, and they always had a 13. So shoes in the U.S. are fine. It's just that in in Japan, uh, you just can't get anything. It's great. There's great shoes here, and there's great
1: Japan-only uh, products, and you just can't get any of them. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I just wish I had more time to shop there, really. Just because the experience is like so different. And it's just like a, because I'm obviously Asian, I sort of, you know, am a medium there. And like, you know, my arms, if I have something American, usually the the sleeves are like, a little bit long. But like in Japan, it's like this magic place where like I'm normal. Everything about my body is normal. Like, no problem. I can just get whatever I want.
0: I also think if you're coming from the U.S. right now, the price is aren't that high. I think people think about Japanese clothing as being very expensive. Mm. And if you buy it here, it's not. I mean, I think the issue is just when you once you ship it to the U.S., the prices get very inflated. And also to keep up with American inflation and American price levels, they tend to be pretty expensive. But the yen right now is, what, 115 to a dollar. So if you think about... I always think about just like if something is 4,000 yen, it's $40, but it's actually at a 15% discount. So things are... If you're buying in dollars and from the United States, it's not expensive. And when I moved here in 2003, there was still a sense that Tokyo was great, but it was a really pricey place to live. And then the economy is basically deflated ever Mm. since that time. Whereas the U.S., everything's become more expensive. And so every time I go back, I'm always shocked about how expensive things are in the U.S. And especially like alcohol, too. uh, A bottle of Campari this is like a very specific example, but a bottle of Campari in Tokyo is about seventeen dollars or sixteen dollars, and when I was in Florida uh, visiting my family, it was forty-five dollars. Wow! So uh, America's America's the expensive one now.
1: That's crazy because it is true. Actually, people do think of Japanese, and I think it even goes beyond the fact that you know, if you import something from Japan, you add the you know taxes and everything, and it yeah. like just if you see the original retail and do the conversion versus, like, the Ameri- the U.S. price tag, it's it can be a bit of a sticker shock. Absolutely. And our retail models are so different. But I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure you could probably find somebody to, like, they'll proxy you shoes and, you know, exchange for stuff you can send them from Japan. <laughs> right. I mean, do the Japanese people, like, use, like, if they're obsessed with, like, American brands that they can't get in Japan, do they... Like, is is there an idea of, like, proxies in the way there are for American fans of Japanese brands?
0: I mean, parallel importing was huge when the end was really strong. And the whole American casual boom of the 90s, late 80s and 90s, really started from... Want to hear the rest? Listen to the full episode and tons more exclusive episodes on Patreon. You can visit patreon.com forward slash blammo. You also get access to our members only Slack community where we chat about clothes, watches, coffee machines. I mean, you name it. It's all there. So visit patreon.com forward slash blammo and we'll see you there.